0: FMR 101.3 People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. It's a great pleasure to introduce my guest to you, who is a South African singer and now opera director who has had such an extraordinary successful career. And as an opera director, this extraordinary career continues. His name is Kubi van Rensburg who studied singing in Potsdam under Werner Nell, and his international career as a tenor took him to all the world's major opera centers. And listen to this list. Berlin, the Staatopper unter der Linden, the Bavarian State Opera, Lisbon, Madrid, Toulouse, Montpellier, Basel, Lucerne, Stuttgart, Graz, Munich, and, of course, the great Metropolitan Opera, where he's worked with people like René Fleming and Magdalena Kotsena. And he made his directorial debut in 2006 with Monteverdi's L'Orfeo, a work, as you will hear in the course of this interview, which has played an enormously important role in Kubi's life. And Kubi's in South Africa at the moment with a group called Umtulo for a series of productions and recitals both at the Nassau Center and in some of our townships. So Kubi, welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much, Rodney. Thank you. Seemed like quite a long introduction, but you have done such a lot. But I'd like, before I start talking about you and your extraordinary life, I just want to know more about UMKULU. Tell me what it is and why it's there. UMKULU is an organization based in Germany, working in South Africa
1: to change lives through music. Shirley Apthorpe started the organization about 10 years ago and the reason for it is that we believe that musical theater or music theater, opera in essence, can really change lives and can make a contribution to social change in South Africa by giving South African singers performance opportunities but very importantly to give communities access to classical music, to give communities access to opera as a means of expression. And we've tried various projects in the past to further these ideas. First, there were productions of operas that people might not know and might not be able to see in other South African centers like the Fairy Queen. We then branched out into um, doing a pastiche opera called Comfort Ye, uh, also in the Cape area, in which uh, not only music by Handel was used, but also music based on collaborative composition then uh, last year we did a production called Lamento which is uh, a Monteverdi pastiche um, and in the course of last year as well the aim of Mtulu changed to not only have one production a year but to have more productions perhaps smaller productions but to have them more prolific all over South Africa and mix it up with master classes and also other projects in which we try to really change lives through music by giving people performance opportunities and also master classes and most of all link communities with the musicians in those communities and give the communities access to music and to a way of expression that they might not know and at the same time also link our european network with south africa and give south african musicians
0: access to that but could be now just from a practical point of view that sounds marvelous and wonderful but where do you perform these operas Uh, where do you get the musicians from how does it actually happen we want to perform opera where it's not often heard.
1: We don't even use a theater some of the times. It can be a community hall, a community hall in a township somewhere, a community hall even under a tree is possible to perform these things. But we need South African musicians, we train them, we work with them over weeks of intensive rehearsal process that develops also at the same time as the rehearsal process with professional musicians or young professionals we do an community outreach, an education outreach, which is based on creativity. The young people, the learners in schools, get contact with our European network of experts, which then help them to discover the wonderful potential of their own creativity. It's not just a question of an outreach in which we go out and tell people, listen, this is the music we're going to perform, and it's the story of this and this. We try to activate their own creativity and try to get them involved into the idea of uh, you can make an opera yourself. It is also at the cutting edge of the difference between participation and performance. We have a lot of emphasis on performance excellence, but at the same time, we also want to say participation is very important. Like, for example, a Schubertiad way back in the time of Schubert was not a stiff upper lip affair with somebody standing in a tailcoat at the piano. It was a wild and raucous affair of friends exchanging ideas and using music as a language to express themselves. And in that way, it is also uh, why we are trying now in Cape Town to do a production with Schubert songs. We are doing a scenic Liederabend, so a scenically staged, dramatized evening of songs to give people access to the music in a way
0: that no, might not have had before. So this takes away completely, strips away the snobbish aspect of leader and opera, doesn't it? Two of the art forms that sometimes, music art forms that are sometimes accused of being the most snobbish, leader and opera. And you've actually stripped that away.
1: Absolutely. Music is for everybody. It is a universal language. And especially in a country like South Africa, the past is something that's a very difficult burden to bear. We also have the idea that classical music is colonial. And in a certain sense, yes, it, it was colonial. But music is a wonderful language that people can use to communicate and to communicate in a way that crosses boundaries very easily and is very accessible. We also want to do productions in a way that people don't need any prior knowledge. They can just come and enjoy. In the 18th century, composers tried to do three things. They said, movere, docere e dilettare. Movere means to move people. Docere was to teach them something new and dilettare was to give them joy. And if you can do those things in productions, then you are communicating effectively. And that is what we are about, communicating effectively for contemporary South Africans, contemporary South African stories in the guise of some of the most wonderful music ever composed.
0: Well, we're going to take our first music break now. And since you mentioned Schubert, maybe I know you've brought some Schubert along with you. So let's listen to Schubert as if I can choose your first piece for you, which I know is rather rude of me, but you don't mind, do you, (laughs) Kubi?
1: Certainly not. So what
0: are we going to hear?
1: Let's listen to a very wild Schubert song, one of his most famous songs, a song that we also include in our program, Der Elke. Oh, yes. It's a wild ride through the night, but in the version that we are telling, it is also a very dark story of sexual harassment of a minor and you hear this terrible excitement in the music the version we're listening to is graham johnson with three singers singing the song divided up into a more dramatized version
0: because it's written for one singer isn't
1: it well certainly for one singer but in the indication in the text there's three characters and i'm sure that at Schubertier in the time of schubert this is the way they might have done it and the singers are john mark ainsley tenor Then we have Michael George as bass and Christina Schaeffer as soprano. And they're accompanied by Graham Johnson for the Hyperion Complete Schubert edition. (laughs)
2: Sohn, was du so, what do you so in your Schöne
3: spiel mit dir. Manch bunte an dem Strand. Meine Mutter hat manch Gülden in der Wand.
2: Seuselt, er Willst du feiner Knabe du mit mir gehen? Meine
3: Töchter sollen dich warten. Schön, meine Töchter führen den nächtlichen
2: Rhein und
3: wiegen und tanzen und singen dich ein. Sie wiegen und tanzen und sehen an dich ein
0: I've never heard that before. Could be an extraordinary version of the Elkonik by Schubert, acted out with three singers, and they were. John Mark Ainslie as tenor,
1: we had Christina Schaefer as soprano, and Michael George as bass, and they were accompanied by Graham Johnson.
0: My guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio this week is Kubi von Rensburg, who is in the country with a group called Umtrullo for performances of Schubert, rather like we've just heard. And you said a lot about Umtrullo, Kubi, and you sound very passionate about it. Incidentally, but now I was just thinking: Are you telling me that you get these people in the townships or in the rural areas who've had no experience to actually sing? Monteverdi and Purcell and these people. Are they the performers?
1: We've done performances in the past where that is exactly what we've done, completely unexperienced people, school children, learners. Their first theatre experience could then have been something like Purcell or Handel. But for the performance that we are doing in the next two weeks, we are going to have the, the performance of a piece called Schande. It is a pastiche of songs. And for that The musical quality is very, very demanding. And we chose young singers who've almost finished their studies or people that have already finished their studies. And this is, this specific project is aimed at giving them performance experience, but they have not had the experience in these songs before. And in South Africa in general, for people to get performance experience in a completely strict classical environment is lacking. But for example, uh, in the past, we've done master classes at Almost all the South African universities up to this point. And then we, of course, get to know people that are talented through those master classes. We can identify people that are candidates with a very valuable amount of talent and people that can benefit from such an experience. And we try to get them together. And it's quite a logistic nightmare because in South Africa, if you finished your studies, you have another day job and the people that are busy with their studies are busy doing their things. Another element of Mculo's work is also to collaborate with universities and to do small productions at universities. For example, we did Lenotze de Figaro in a township outside of Porto last year. And there we can identify talent and then we bring them together and we work with them in an environment which is very professional and they need to work hard and learn skills and develop skills and at the end share them with the public. And our performances of Shande is going to be in the Nassau Theatre for a normal Cape Town theatre going audience that no leader, etc. But then we're also going to Haute Bay, we're going to Lange, we're going to Kraifontein, that the communities that normally don't have access to this music also get access and we do projections in the local languages. Like for example in Shanda we're projecting the text in English and in Corsa. In um, Figaro we did it in Tswana the titles and when we did uh, Lamento we did uh, Zulu and English titles. It's very important for us to make sure that our public understands word for word
0: what is happening. And it's a learning process. We're Our singers also have to go through. What is Shunder? What is that about? Is it something that exists or have you created it using Schubert's songs? It's a piece
1: that I've created. It is based on contemporary South African stories that we have around us every day. So there's a lot of violence in it. There's elements of gang violence, drug abuse violence towards women which unfortunately is so prevalent in South African society it deals with the issue of rape and also with sexually transmitted diseases and, and it sounds said, like earlier
0: child abuse as well definitely yeah
1: it tries to approach these issues by saying they exist in South African society but it's not the first time that these things happen Schubert himself suffered from a sexually transmitted disease he died alone and destitute because he was infected with syphilis mm. and the universality of these themes and and these huge ideas in the human condition of trying to forgive, trying to find forgiveness in your heart for something that somebody has done to you, the disparity that we have in our society, it's all reflected in this music. So I chose a couple of uh, songs and I built it together into a very loose dramatization of five incidents in which we have these things happening. And the way in which characters reflect about that, it actually is staged in a graveyard because most of these horrid elements lead to death and how do we cope with that as South Africans? It's very interesting that young South Africans have a lot of contact with people around them dying at a much earlier age than European children, for example, and therefore this project is tailored to addressing very difficult issues, but doing it through music in a way that people can relate to and perhaps find in themselves a new posture towards
0: these ideas.
1: You're bewildering me
0: now. I'm trying to think what of Schubert is violent, and I mean the Erlkoenig certainly is a violent story. And a we have a very violent story in der zwerg for example it's a story
1: about a dwarf strangling to death his queen because he was in love with her and she shunned him for the king we have a couple of songs on the idea of a person that is alive remembering and longing for a person that's not alive anymore and there's lots of incidents of ghost stories in Schubert's songs in which uh-huh. somebody from the afterworld would actually speak and appear. Then on top of that, there's songs which in their interpretation, in the text is so open for subtext that I've taken that subtext to mean something in a South African context. And uh, Schubert certainly knew a lot of violence in his time. We had uh, lots of wars. We had the whole cities being sieged. And all of that is reflected in his music. But also his idea of feeling an outsider. He felt ostracized, he felt alone. And often it is the case that we find youngsters in puberty trying to find their way in the world, coping with these horrors. It's very difficult for them to
0: find their feet.
1: And this music can, in a certain sense, be a guide as
0: well. It's interesting that you say this about Schubert because we all know about Mozart so famously and his difficulties. But Schubert's life would (laughs) translate very well into a fairly tragic film, wouldn't it?
1: Absolutely, a, a tragic figure in his own right. But um, the humanity of his music mm. and the clarity with which he could cut to the bone of what we call the human condition is quite amazing. And I find him in a wonderful league there with composers like, for example, Monteverdi, Handel, Mozart. It is a direct continuation of that subtlety in which even in the most happiest of moments, there's the possibility of finding a tear in it. And even in the most tragic of darkest situations, there's still a ray of light in the music as well. Gosh,
0: Well now we're going to take another music break But I want to come back to talking about how you're actually staging this And talk more about the projections you say you use But why not let's have I don't know why I'm choosing the music for you Kui But you have told me what you've brought Let's do another Schubert song Because I know we're going to be listening to some Monteverdi later So while we're on the subject of Schubert Let's do another Schubert song And what will it be? Let's listen to a wonderful song, An die
1: Apfelbäume, wo ich Julian erblickte." It is not a very well-known song, and that's also one of the reasons why I chose it. But when I was to the singer, I particularly enjoyed singing the song for the wonderful melodic line that it has. I'm astounded, actually, that this song is not more well-known and that it's not performed more often. It is sung by Martin Hill, and also accompanied by Graham Johnson.
2: I I. Oh.
0: But I see what you mean by not knowing why that song isn't more popular. I had never heard it before. And gosh, what a lovely song by Schubert. And its name? And die
1: Apfelbäume wo ich Julien erblickte. And Martin Hill the tenor? Martin Hill the tenor, once again accompanied by Graham Johnson. Really a wonderful, wonderful rendition of a very beautiful
0: song. Well, my guest is Kuby von Rensburg, who, as you've heard, is in town for what sounds to me like a fairly extraordinary production for the group Umtulo at the Nassau Center coming up this next weekend. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, you spoke about dramatizing Schubert songs. You've told me that when you are directing, and we haven't even got on to that yet, your life as a director – you like to use projections. And that's what you're doing in the Nassau, is it? Because obviously you don't have sets and curtains and things. Just explain what it's going to look like. Well, the Nassau Theatre is
1: uh, acoustically a good choice, but it certainly cannot harbour a set, nor is the budget for this production capable of doing that. But I'm going to hopefully make it very interesting for the public to see because we are using two projection techniques. I'm using... Uh, animated surtitles onto a backdrop and this backdrop has animated elements onto it as well that give the viewer a sense of a space a sense of a place where we are and then on top of that I'm using a very modern Hollywood technique of blue screening in which the actors are in fact superimposed into digital sets while they are singing live on stage. And the public gets a wonderful view as to how are we making the magic at the same time that they are seeing the, the projection of the digitized 3D uh, world in which the singers then are projected into. And it's a huge challenge to do that sort of thing without a huge theater lighting rig. So that's a third element, which is a a new one in South Africa. The lighting of the show is going to be really bare bones, very, very, very grassroots, very basic, because we want to take the show in its entirety without making any sort of a watered-down version of it to Langa, to Creifontaine, and to Haute Bay. So it is important for us to make a show that's modular, that we can transport anywhere, and those places don't have a lighting rig, and therefore I had to devise a show that can work with interesting visual elements without a lighting rig. And I hope that the public will have an enjoyment
0: of something which might not look like any other leader album they've ever seen in their lives. <laughs> it sounds completely fascinating, especially what you've just said about the blue screen, the Hollywood thing where so you're saying that you I would see an actor on stage in real life, but he might also be or he will be in another dimension, shall we say. On screen,
1: In a virtual dimension in on screen, right dimension. next to where he's standing on his blue screen. It's the same idea as uh, the weather that's been pr- projected mm. behind the guy saying, tomorrow it's going to rain in the area of uh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Um But on a three-dimensional and rather complicated way. But I've done productions like this in Europe where I've staged a whole opera just in front of the blue screen, and I saw what a wonderful effect it had on the public. They're transported <laughs> into a different world. And, of course, with Leader, we have small little episodes it's not one huge overarching story but more little episodes and to give those episodes the space in which they can flourish and link them to each other to make uh, a certain cohesion happen on the evening is quite a challenge as well but modern technology helps a great deal and i found out many years ago when i started directing that i can use this to make opera more accessible and draw in younger crowds and excite younger people without the preconceived idea of opera is a snobbish thing for old rich people when i first directed had the challenge of doing monteverdi's L'Orfeo, in which the text and the poetry is paramount and the poetry is of such a wonderful quality and yet my German public, they were unable to understand a single word of this. So I developed an idea of why not project animated surtitles right next to the head of the person singing like a little speech bubble, instead <laughs> of the public having to crane their necks up to two lines written somewhere way up high, but to have it integrated within the production itself. And that's where it all started. And I had to learn a great deal about animation and projection techniques to keep on developing that. And now looking back at it 10 years, I've been at the forefront of pioneering things in Germany as well. And I've been very happy to trailblaze <laughs> and try and find new experiments and see how I can bring music closer to the public. How can I communicate
0: more effectively? Well, the way you came to be a director and no longer a singer is in itself an extraordinary story of human courage and positive thinking. But we're going to come to that after the next piece of music, because I want you to tell us if you prepare to share with us, as you shared with me, why you had to give up singing. But since we spoke about Monteverdi and to introduce your love of period instruments, uh, why don't we listen to some Monteverdi? And if so, what?
1: I have the possibility of playing Monteverdi's L'Orfeo and little aria from the piece. It's called Viricorla o Boschi Ombrosi and it means, do you remember the back when you were so happy among these bushes and these trees? I'm singing with the Berlin Lautenkompanie, a band specialized on historically informed performance practice and the instruments of the time of Monteverdi. And it's from the first act of Monteverdi's opera, L'Orfeo. <laughs>
3: boschi ombrosi dei miei lunghi aspri tormenti, quando i saschi hai miei lamenti, risponde a piedi pietosi, vi ricorda boschi ambrosi, vi ricorda boschi ombrosi. Sconsolato, on fortuna è spiancato e in, in i di non mi più altro sconsolato. Ciave spedolente, oggi ho visco in quegli affanni e sofferti ho per vant'anni, fanno caro il ben presente, di sigi spedolente, di si già spedolente. Il mi più contento, dopo il mi è più felice,
0: The voice of my guest, Kobe von Rensberg, in that aria from L'Orfeo by Monteverdi, which was Kobe? Vi ricorda o Boschi Ombrosi. Ah. And Kobe von Rensberg is my guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio this week. And we've been talking, Kobe, a lot about why you're here with this organization called Umtulu with Shirley Apthop and what you'll be doing at the Nassau Center and in those various places you mentioned. But you did let drop slightly earlier that when you stopped singing, and we know that you are now directing mostly, and you're based in Berlin, aren't you, mostly? Indeed, I'm based in Berlin and uh, working as a freelance director. I do teach quite often. I enjoy teaching a lot, but I don't sing anymore. And I know there was a medical reason, but just briefly, can you explain what stopped you and was it a traumatic
1: experience? It was indeed a very traumatic experience. I was diagnosed already in 2004 with a tumor that was growing at a rate where we had to operate. And I kept on singing because I recovered well after many operations, small operations, but still very um, unnerving and very threatening in a way. But then in the process, I lost more and more of the lymphatic tissue. And in the process, the nerve um, send or, or the nerve conducting, going to the vocal cords, were affected and my vocal cords could eventually not vibrate synchronously anymore. And that made it impossible for me to sing at the quality that I wanted to. It made it impossible for me to sound like I used to sound. And I was faced with a very difficult decision over a period of time where I knew that I had to stop singing. And... Unfortunately, at that time in my life, the best offers came rolling in. I was booked many years ahead with wonderful projects, with wonderful conductors that I really respected and that I wanted to work with. And in a certain sense, I was living my dream. I never dreamt that I would be working with people like John Elliott Gardner and René Jacobs and Levine at the Met. I never dreamt uh, when I studied singing in South Africa that I would be able to achieve that. And it was very hard for me. Uh, having achieved a certain level of my career, thinking that it will continue ad infinitum, to then suddenly be forced to, to take a different avenue. But I was very lucky also in the sense that my love of directing had already started earlier. In 2002, I already created a complete piece for the Staatstheater am Gärtnerplatz, which a friend of mine then, then directed. And before I stopped singing in 2006, I already made my directorial debut and had offers immediately to keep on directing. So I could more or less saddle from the one horse uh, onto the other while it was still uh, galloping along. And I'm very glad to have had that opportunity because I miss singing a great deal, but I think I'm a better director than I uh, ever was as a singer. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) uh, Because I can really combine my love of graphics, my love of philosophy and music together, and I can take responsibility for the full communicative package that reaches the audience. As a singer in an opera production, you are a means of telling the story as a director you are the storyteller when singers sing Lieder in a Liederabend they become their own director and their own conductor in a certain sense as well and I'm reminded of René Jacobs a conductor with whom I've often worked and whom I greatly respected and still <laughs> greatly respect he said to me you know I see that you are frustrated when other people direct because they don't have enough respect for the music and they don't have enough knowledge about the music I started to conduct because I was frustrated you should start to direct because you are frustrated and he was right all artistic endeavor happens from some sort of wish to want to change the status quo and therefore you create something and therefore you try to communicate uh, something that might in the hearts and minds of people um, start to change something and that's why I'm so passionately involved also in South Africa with UNTULU because I see that we can change lives through music, we can give people opportunities, we can give a community an opportunity to come into contact with something and if there's a spark in the mind or in the heart of just one person, then the whole endeavor has been worthwhile. And I'm very happy to say my productions in Europe are selling out very well <laughs> and I always get back the um, uh, the feedback that younger audiences are coming to see it. Younger people are coming into the opera and that's why people are enjoying it. I did a Star Wars version of Zauberflöte. I did a completely (laughs) animated version of um, Handel's Rinaldo. I did a Starship Enterprise version of Handel's opera Alcina. Um, And all of these things I do because I believe that that is what the composers back then wanted to transport to their public, a sense of awe, a sense of ooh and ah and enjoyment and yet a very high level of intricate musical communication done on a sincere basis of heart to heart.
0: It's very interesting that you say that's what the composers want because we take for granted these days, don't we? We go and see La Bohème in a traditional production, and we don't go ooh and ah, because now it's the music that we know the story so well, we know what's going to look like, and we respond perhaps to the music and the singing, whereas what you're saying is you're giving the young people an ooh-ah experience, which would make the composer very happy, if I interpreted you correctly? I'm sure that
1: the composers back in the day wanted to communicate extremely effectively, and I'm a great fan of historically informed performance practice, because that makes you think and rethink why am I doing this piece now? Why am I choosing, for example, in the case of Monteverdi 400 years later, that music, it was composed in a completely different cultural environment, and now I want to say something to a modern public with this music. Why am I doing it and how can I do it effectively? And historically informed performance practice tries to bridge that gap. It tries to bridge that gap with knowledge. Knowledge about how and why And with what attitude it, music was performed. We have the score. The score is like a detective novel, which, um, or you're, you're the detective when you, when you browse through the score, and the score gives you an indication of what the composer wanted, but you have to read that score in context to make it really come alive. The music on the paper is dead. It means nothing. We as artists have to make this music come alive and fill it with life, fill it with joy, fill it with love. But the more knowledge we have about how they did it back then, um, the more informed and also perhaps better, decisions can be made today as to how to transport this. If I have a libretto by da Ponte and the Mozart um, composition based on that, it is a fantastic form of art, but it is based in a cultural environment which often to South Africans are quite strange. But opera was always a contemporary art form. Only in the 20th century are we starting to look at it as if though it is something which is an exposto ex fact that we can uh, look at uh, ex post facto and think, yeah, um, uh, it might be something that I've seen before um, and we're recreating the aesthetics of the 1960s production of something. Uh, I'm completely against that. I want to rediscover the theatre experience of, in the moment, having that magic that happens in the theatre where... The idea on stage comes alive and is like a little seed that is planted in the heart of even the youngest
0: uh, of the public. Well, I want to talk to you after our next music break about your interest in period performance, which you've explained. But in South Africa, we don't really have much of a, an exposure to it. There are some people who are doing it, and I'd be interested to know what you think about exposing people in the townships and elsewhere to period performance. But we've heard arguably the earliest opera now, Orfeo, by Monteverdi. What is next? Well, actually, uh, l'Orfeo is
1: an opera which is now done by many, many opera companies all over the world. It has gone into standard repertoire, and it's often perceived to be the earliest opera, but it's not the case. It was created in a very um, vibrant environment of experimentation in 1607, but already in 1600 and 1600, one and 2, people were already developing operas, And um, two operas on the same title and actually the same story as Monteverdi's L'Orfeo, the love story between Orfeo and Euridice, was composed by two composers, uh, Caccini and Peri. And they had a great um, rivalry among themselves. Who could produce it first? (laughs) And Peri actually won by a couple of days. And we can now listen to an aria of the character Orfeo from Peri's opera and uh, the aria is called Gioite al canto mio. Uh, it means, um, enjoy my singing. And who is singing? I'm singing ah. again with the Latin Company.
3: Gioite al canto mio, Gioite e Ecco i for dalle for him, 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 for giòiti amati colli e Corin bombi dalle maglie scose. Corri ecco, im dalle maglie scose.
0: say one learns something every day. I really thought Monteverdi's Orfeo was the first opera ever, but you, Kirby, say this one by Perry is uh, some seven years earlier.
1: Indeed. Perry's
0: L'Uridice and also
1: Caccini's L'Uridice are at least five years younger than Monteverdi's Orfeo.
0: And that was my guest singing there. My guest was Kirby von Rendsburg, who, as we've been telling you, is in town for a production of uh, for Mthulo at the Nassau Centre but we'll give you the dates and all that in a moment but we've been talking about historically informed performances what is your obsession with that and I don't mean that to sound negative by the way I
1: think it's the best approach to music making in general, especially classical music. If you think about pop music, every singer-songwriter writes his own song, and then if somebody sings the song again, it's called a cover, a cover by so-and-so or something. That is in actual fact what all of classical music performance in a certain sense today constitutes. Historically informed performance practice is an approach. We usually think it has to do with playing on early instruments with guts, strings, etc. And that's how it's presented on record labels. And certainly that plays a part. But more importantly, it's about an approach. It's an approach to interpreting music and making it more effective in the communication to its audience. And I'm a great supporter of that idea because if we can bring out the life that is in this music, we can transport that to our public, and that's what it's
0: all about. But there is a, a distinct culture, really, of that which began, I think, in Europe and England with the John Eliot Gardeners and the um, Anuncours and Anuncour, those people. all those people. But we're not really exposed to it in this country. We've got people like Hans Haysen, Hans who has done a lot, I think, on the period. And Eric Dippenard. Eric Dippenard does a lot in Cape Town. Yes,
1: indeed. Um, uh, I hope that there will be... Uh, More support for those groups, also the Cape Consort, um, and people in generally, uh, in general, looking at how they can make the music of even Mozart and Rossini and all of those people come alive with the amount of vibrance that this core dictates. We are often caught in bad habits of the recent past, and it's very good to throw off those shackles and look at the past With the best knowledge that we have of today, and I can only uh, gladly support those colleagues. And you know, a very important thing, Rodney, is that we might not have a lot of gut-bowed violins running around in Cape Town, but every human voice is a period instrument. (laughs) And therefore, in our singing, we can definitely
0: make a very, very good and lasting contribution in that sense. What an interesting concept because that is very true and it never dawned on me before so thank you that's the second thing you've taught me today but um how do you think that people um who've never really heard opera which we're talking about with Mthulu, and when you go to langa and hautbe and all that how do you think they will respond to because that will actually be the first thing they hear and for them that is going to be very very important and informative south africans like to sing
1: People in townships sing, and they sing opera. That's the the very wild conundrum, Rodney. People all over South Africa in choir competitions sing some of the most daunting operatic music without ever having had the chance to experience a real opera on stage. That's where we want to make a difference. That's where we want to try something. But singing is a very South African thing. And in that sense, perhaps South Africa can be a guiding light to the rest of the world as to the future of opera. We need to get back to the very idea, that's another reason why I like early opera so much, that opera was based on the idea of the spoken text not being strong enough in its communication they wanted to supercharge the spoken theatrical text with music and make a new art form that through this alchemy and this symbiosis uh, could have a long life and we are seeing the 400 year old plus uh, development of an art form which is going strong but it's an art form that is stylized and it's an art form that can be daunting but shouldn't be and if you only have the right uh, lead into it it can be something that uh, takes your imagination it certainly happened to me that when I heard Plácido Domingo sing something uh, many many years ago it took, it grabbed my imagination and I became hooked and I would like to get more people hooked on this wonderful <laughs> wonderful drug
0: well the other thing you've said that's very interesting is that it's appealing to young people not only in South Africa but in Berlin of all places so all strength to your arm let's try and fit in another couple of pieces of music what's next for example
1: I have brought a recording of a very early Handel opera. The opera is called Rodrigo. And it is a very interesting story about the usurping of the Spanish throne. And Handel composed this as a young man in Italy, and it is a very, very vibrant work for such a young composer. The aria is from the fourth act of the character Giuliano, and it says spiriti fieri. He wants to inspire his soldiers to attack the enemy. Who's singing here? It's once again Turbi von (laughs) Rensburg singing, (laughs) this time with Alayra Espanol and Lopez Bagno conducting.
3: Non perdete si bella vittoria! Il dì che, il dì che, il dì che, il dì che, il
2: dì che, il dì che, il
3: dì Dinaffiata dal regio sangue, più non langue, ma risorge più bella la gloria. Dinaffiata dal regio su sangue, dal regio su sangue, più non langue, ma
2: risorge
3: più bella la gloria. Spiti piedi, spiti piedi, del lavoro a piedi, del per non perderti del lavoro. Oh, 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 oh,
0: Music by Handel, as you said, Kubi, from a very, very early opera. Just say what it Rodrigo. Okay. It has a very fancy subtitle: "Vince se stesso
1: è la maggior vittoria." <laughs>
0: My guest is Kubi von Rensburg, and as we approach the end of the program, Kubi, because I know we want to fit in another piece, but just give me the details then, the dates, of what sounds like this extraordinary production at the Nassau. It's at
1: Nassau Theatre at the Grootiski High School in Newlands, um, 20th of May at 7.30 in the evening is the first performance, and the next day, on the 21st of May, at four o'clock in the afternoon, we have yet another performance. And then the production is going to Houtbein, Kraifontaine, and Lange on the 22nd, the 23rd, and the 24th of May. Um, If people want to go to those performances, it's important that they contact Mimi Macapella on 074-287-8562.
0: All right. Well we've got that number here If you didn't get it Because I'm certainly going to make sure I go Because what you said about Shanda is fascinating Kobe, all strength to your arm You and Shirley and Nkulu And come and see us again Where we'll talk more about your career But you fascinated me about all this So thanks for being so fascinating Thank you for having us Rodney And what is the last piece now We're going to fit in very quickly
1: It's a piece by Schubert For four male voices Called Das Grab And it's about the realm of death lying over the brim of
0: the grave. Is this also in the show Shander? It's also in Shander. Kubi von Reinsburg, thank you. My pleasure. (laughs) People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. Need a good laugh? Want to stop stressing about everything that could go wrong? Then get to Peter Turin's Theatre on the Bay to see the London West End hit comedy, The Play That Goes Wrong. This side-splitting, hysterical, award-winning farce is directed by Alan Committee. After weeks of rave reviews, standing ovations and raucous laughter in Johannesburg, this show comes to Cape Town until 17 June. The Play That Goes Wrong at Peter Toreen's Theatre on the Bay. Book now. A play so perfectly wrong, it's hysterically right. FMR
4: 101.3